Welcome to Learte de l'Armée, the Renaissance Family Dysfunction Podcast. everybody to our Thanksgiving Day episode. Uh, we have a very special guest today. We have Carrie Holman. Uh, Carrie, can you give us a little bit about your background and uh, your fencing experience? Sure. Well, my name, as you said, my name is Carrie Holman. I'm, uh, I'm a licensed uh, clinical professional counselor, means I'm a therapist. I'm also a certified clinical trauma professional level two, so trauma is kind of my jam. Um, for my kind of my sword fighting background, um, I'm in the SCA, um, made master of defense earlier this year. So that's kind of like our wow. top Congratulations. level. Congratulations. So, yeah. That's amazing. Yay. In theory, I know what I'm doing in theory. <laughs> fake it till you make it. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Sometimes I tell that to my clients, fake it till you make it. There you go. <laughs> so I'm real excited to be here. Thank you both so much. This is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, so glad to have you on. Yeah, we're really looking forward to this. <laughs> All right. So, um, the way that we're going to set this up, yeah, we're going to call this our, our D- Dear Carrie episodes. So we're going to we're gonna write you little letters of sure. uh, Renaissance family dysfunction, and we're going to have you respond to them. And then we're going to give you the full scenario. So Oh, boy. We're, we're going to explore the, uh, the colorful and wonderful world of uh, Renaissance family dynamics. All right. Okay, fantastic. All right. Dear Carrie. A timeless source of family tension is the struggle between parents pushing their children into careers they do not want and children wishing to live their own life. Cesare Borgia, son of the Pope, experienced this in the worst way. He's been forced to serve his family in the church, but churchmen don't hardly ever get to kill people, and Cesare wants to spill some blood. He envies his brother Juan, general of the papal army, who gets to tour the brothels in Rome and goes wherever his salami takes him. Cesare has tried to host one tiny little orgy, but his dad came down on him like a ton of bricks. The Pope has told Cesare that he is a spoiled brat, that he doesn't know how lucky he is that he gets to be a cardinal at age 19, the youngest ever. But does Cesare appreciate this? No. How might you approach this family issue, Carrie? (laughs) Oh my God, the Borgias. English or European history's most dysfunctional family. I mean, like if Game of Thrones and the Kardashians had a baby, you'd wind up with the Porsches. When when Showtime has to tone the dysfunction down, you know there's an issue. (laughs) Okay, so so we have our we have our young man who is pushed in it sounds like pushed into daddy's career that's right you know sometimes daddy's a dentist sometimes daddy is the pope <laughs> I, I just that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes yeah, it's how the or cookie the biscotti crumbles. in this case yeah <laughs> so <laughs> i'm thinking okay and, you know, and he's jealous of his brother mm-hmm. i'm like yeah you know i i think it'd be like yeah i get that you know he gets to go off and have all the fun and it sounds like he gets to do what you want to do Exactly. So I may yeah. be like, if I was like, okay, like if I could wave a magic wand and you could have 
any job you wanted. Like, you know, no holds barred, no mm-hmm. repercussions from dad, no nothing. What would mm-hmm. you do? Oh, and totally. The answer is apparently. Kill yeah. And bang girls. The answer 100%. is apparently orgies and bloodshed. <laughs> <laughs> Whereupon I would then be doing a homicidal ideation assessment because that's a thing. And not a thing anybody ever has to or anybody wants to do, but those are there. So if this assessment determined like, wow, like this guy is like legit going to go kill people, um, maybe be calling the cops. <laughs> but if I determine, no, he's not actually going to go kill people. You know, I don't know. Maybe like, okay, maybe what, maybe go join the army or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in all seriousness, Let's hope that's not his answer. I'm like, okay, well, this just took a very different turn. Um, honestly, talking about career counseling may be a thing. There's okay. like that. That's a specialty in this field is like helping somebody figure out, okay, what is it that you would actually want to do? Because he's mm-hmm. he's 19 years old. You know, maybe he's right. never really had a chance to explore that. Right. And, and so, what if okay, his dad let's... doesn't allow that? I mean, he's the Pope, right? He's How the, do you Pope. Tell the Pope. Yeah. That he's wrong. Yeah. This is a guy with the, like, red phone to God. <laughs> I've never thought about it that way. Let's see. I mean, like, now granted, like, in a modern, I mean, you know, Renaissance context is a little different where it's like, <laughs> like, your dad's the Pope. He could probably have you arrested and strung up. Um, so maybe we're just going to have to live with it and maybe, maybe, maybe let, orgy, you know, orgies and bloodshed be a hobby. On the ah, side that dad doesn't have to know about. Maybe God. we'll do that. Okay. And like just okay. like just don't murder it. Don't murder anybody important. Got it. <laughs> just kind of do your thing, but keep it on the QT. Yeah, keep it Nobody on the QT. Nobody needs to know. Nobody needs to know. Got uh, it. So you would advise Cesare to just go along with dad. That you know, I mean, he could be Pope one day, right? And then he can forgive yeah. himself or whatever he did wrong. I mean, like if this was the Renaissance, if we were in the Renaissance, yeah. Um, in a modern context, I'd kind of be like, well, okay, so what if you don't? What are the repercussions? And now, ni- you know, like today, a 19 year old may be like, well, it's not like I have a job with a lot of money, though he is cardinal. So, mm-hmm. so he's rich. Know. Yeah. He's, so, okay. So, like, okay. Job. So, why not? Like, you're 19 years old. You're a legal adult, at least in the U.S. Right. Go, you know, okay. Well, go do your own thing. It's like, okay, let's do it smartly. Not, let's not blow all of our cardinal money. We need that mm-hmm. to, you know, maybe maybe go get a master's degree or a bachelor's mm-hmm. or get, you know, you know, take up a trade. You know, maybe, I don't know, you know, bicycle mechanic is your dream job. Okay, well, let's go do that. <laughs> <laughs> but if we determine we got to, you know, we got to keep the church and the family. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a family business, clearly. We'll, we'll just, is. you know. We'll do our orgies and our and our, and our bloodshed on the side. That'll be our hobby. Guys, so I think it's like compartmentalizing, right? Isn't that called? Yeah. You just you just have that little part of your life, and you don't yeah. let it infect the rest of your life. Okay. Yeah, like some people, some people, some people live for the weekend. Some so people, it, they're like, this this is my job, whatever. I'm not crazy about it, but it funds my hobbies, which in this it. case is bloodshed. Right. <laughs> so you would tell his dad to lay off the orgies and understand that his son has some special needs that he needs to attend to. <laughs> don't know if i'd call it special needs but sure <laughs> if i had these two together in a room it might be like okay well, dad yeah, you're the family therapist yeah yeah the family therapy but we kind of be like okay dad well let's explore like why is this so important to you and you know 
Best case scenario, dad is just trying to look out for son. He's trying to say, well, being in the church is a very stable career. You will always have a job. You will always be provided for. Right. It's like, okay, I totally get that. You know, that's a good father. Because if I know anything about the Borishas, it's probably more like, no, this is about me and my power. Then it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, dad, shut up. You're already pope. And the dynasty. (laughs) It's got to keep the dynasty going. That's right. Yeah. But, you know, we put this therapeutically. Mm. Dad, you're nuts. Shut up. We just put that therapeutically. Got it. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. <laughs> All right, Stephen, you ready to give the ready to give the scenario? Careers have been a constant source of family tension through the ages. Since time immemorial, parents have forced their children into careers the kids did not want that did not suit the kids. Even today, how many children are forced to live out their parents' dreams for them to be doctors or engineers, despite those kids wanting something very different in their own lives? This battle is age-old. Now, when we talk about family drama in the Renaissance, we must begin with that most famous of families, the Borgia. Among the noble families of the Renaissance, the first son was typically delegated for a military career, while the second son took service with the church. Not to do anything holy, no, no, but simply to represent the family's interest in the church. Such was the case with Cesare Borgia. He was an illegitimate child of the Pope. As the second oldest, he was forced to take service in the church. He did not want to be a churchman, though. He did not want to spend his days in reading or in contemplation. What's worse, being in the church meant that Cesare had to forswear violence. That really did not suit young Cesare. Murder and mayhem fit him like a glove. Cesare was not even allowed to have fun. His older brother Juan, the so-called general of the family, was allowed to openly tour the brothels of Rome and go wherever his salami took him. But when Cesare tried to host a discreet little orgy of his own, his father came down on him like the proverbial ton of bricks, just because he's a churchman and churchmen are supposed to be chaste. But in 1497, the situation was becoming intolerable for young Cesare. His older brother is garbage as a general and causes the family to lose lands. Cesare wants out of the church, but his father says no. He tells him to stop being a spoiled brat and to think of the family that Cesare does not know how lucky he is. Cesare was made a cardinal at 19 years old. 19! The youngest cardinal in the history of the church. Cesare has the inside lane to becoming Pope one day. If Cesare and the Pope had sought the advice of a family therapist, this is probably what they would have heard. Yeah, so this situation ended up being resolved just a bit differently. One night, Cesare and his brother Juan were having dinner with their mother. As the hours were growing late, they decided to head home back to the Vatican. On the way home, Juan expressed interest in a little horizontal refreshment, and he told Cesare that he was going out on his own. Juan departed with a servant or two in tow. The next day, Juan had not returned to the Vatican. At first, the family was not concerned. But then alarm bells started to ring when Juan's horse was seen in Rome running loose through the streets. Even more alarming, Juan's servant was soon discovered bleeding to death on the streets of Rome. The Pope put out an APB for information about his son. News came soon. 
a boatman came to see the Pope, saying that he had seen a body dumped into the river near the Vatican the night before. The Pope angrily demanded why the boatman had not immediately gone to the authorities when he saw that body dumped into the river. The boatman simply replied that he had seen hundreds of bodies dumped into the Tiber, and this was the first time anyone had cared. Dredging the Tiber River soon turned up the body of Juan Borgia. His hands were still tied behind his back. Nine stab wounds perforated his body. The Pope was destroyed with grief. Only the pursuit of vengeance could rouse him from his bed. He launched a thorough investigation seeking to identify the assassins. The murder of Juan Borgia is one of the great mysteries of history, but no one benefited from Juan's death more than his brother, Cesare. As they say in true crime, Cesare had the means, the motive, and the opportunity, and he was no stranger to violent solutions to common problems. And soon it seemed the Pope became increasingly suspicious of his own son, and he canceled the investigation shortly thereafter. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yep, that's it. That's oh, one. boy. I am going to have my record subpoenaed. <laughs> <laughs> I am, you nodded your eyes and crossed your teeth. <laughs> I'm going to get a court order from a judge who's going to be like, we want your clinical notes. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> I can just see that one. Did a homicide you know, a homicide ideation assessment and found out that yeah, the guy's a little nuts, but we're okay. Whoops. <laughs> we thought we could work it out. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I mean, yeah. Uh in a mo- you know, in a modern context if this had happened and you know, in of course during the investigation we learned that, you know, this guy's in therapy with Carrie. They're going to call me up. You know, now, granted, I need a subpoena or a court order from a judge mm-hmm. to offer mm-hmm. that. Otherwise, I can't pretend I, you know, have to pretend I don't even know the guy. But, um, <laughs> yeah, this is so not I've got bad for- news for you, Carrie. I think in a Renaissance contest... You'd be found floating in the Tiber pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, I think I'd be dead, too. <laughs> so I think I want to flee Rome. Yeah, uh, right, yeah. yeah. London's yeah. beautiful this time yeah. of year, right? Yeah, Italy sounds, yeah, England sounds pretty good. Yeah, England sounds they real good. They say the weather's fantastic there. Oh, yeah, weather's great in London this yeah. time of year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I can safely say I've never been involved in a murder investigation, knock on wood. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> never yet. <laughs> yeah, never. I mean, never say never, but let's hope. I do ask my yeah, clients, right. please, no murder sprees. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, this does not look good for our client here, does it? Mm-mm. No, no, it doesn't. Yeah, no, it definitely doesn't. No, no. So, and sounds like, uh, sounds like you know, Pope Daddy. I cannot Pope believe Daddy. I just said that, Pope Daddy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe it wasn't the first time. That's he's been the next Pope rapper's Daddy. the next rapper's name, Pope Daddy. <laughs> Pope Daddy. <laughs> Sounds like Pope Daddy has, you know, kind of suspects he might know what he's found. Mm-hmm. It's probably yeah, sounds he like puts, he's cutting cutting his losses and saying, Well, 
One son is better than none. (laughs) (laughs) At least my son's a go-getter. Yeah. And if somebody has to... Somebody has to carry... Yeah. Somebody has to carry on this ecclesiastical line. (laughs) (laughs) So I do love that the dad is like, no, like, you can't be philandering around in the brothels. You're a priest. He's like, dad, you're the pope. (laughs) How many kids you got? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, some pot calling the kettle black here. Dude, seriously, seriously. <laughs> I can just see, uh. to see him being like, well, you know, now that I'm older, I have learned from my ways, and I don't want you to make the same mistakes. Right, right, like, exactly. Well, you have to take piano lessons because I never had the opportunity as a child. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to love them, you lucky spoiled brat. Yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Why do I feel like this family like learned how to make shivs around the dinner table? Dude, totally. 100%. So like, well, you drink the wine first. Let's see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> the good thing for you, Carrie, is we're not done with the Borgias just yet. Oh, oh yeah. goody. We're coming back. <laughs> Yay! We're coming back. It's funny because they're all dead now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Some yeah. timely and some untimely. <laughs> they're no longer a threat. Yes. Nope. <laughs> Yep, you're safe. I don't think you're going to be floating in the Tiber River unless you want to go swimming. I mean, Thank I'm going to be God for syphilis. Yes. Yeah, right? I mean, I'd also, I would honestly be like, hats off to my assassin if they murder me and then take me all the way to Italy just to float me in the Tiber. Like, <laughs> it is not easy transporting a corpse over international borders. Dude, and you get to go to Rome one last time. Yeah. I mean, there you go. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Steven, do you want to jump into the next one? Uh, yeah. Sure. Let's talk right. about our good friend Lucretia. Uh-oh. All right. Another common problem that seems to come up in families are troubles with the in-laws. For Lucretia Borgia, the problem started really as she turned from a girl to a woman. She was what is generally called a bona fide hottie. An eleven. Everyone thinks that being a gorgeous woman is the cat's pajamas, but for Lucretia, her looks were a double-edged sword. For it certainly inspired her brother to be intensely jealous of her husband's. Cesare almost killed the first husband, Giovanni. But Giovanni ran away and signed a humiliating affidavit declaring that his Johnson did not stand to attention when it needed to. Lucretia (laughs) remarried to a great guy, though, that made her blissfully happy afterwards. But now Cesare has gone mad with bloodlust, and Lucretia's husband no longer serves a political use to the family. Lucretia knows her brother intends to kill her beloved hubby. How might you help Lucretia convince Cesare to let her live in peace with her husband? God damn it, Cesare! (laughs) (laughs) Can't leave you alone for a minute! So, uh, we're going to bump sessions up to twice a week, because I apparently can't leave you alone for six days at a time. Okay, he'll come, but you're going to have to ignore any blood stains. Yeah, but like, like, Cesare, my dear, is that blood on your collar? We've talked about this. Do your laundry before you come to therapy. Right? Other people sit on that couch, Cesare. <laughs> I'm 
think, assuming that he is, you know, assuming he didn't go to prison for murdering his brother, I right. think maybe we just need to lock this one away. <laughs> I don't think any any bars can hold the Cesare. Yeah, because here I'm no. doing a homicide intent assessment again. <laughs> <laughs> this one's going to be coming up all alarm bells, I can tell you that. Oh, God, I'm going to be like, gee, I think I've been here before. Uh <laughs> I mean, you can't spell incest without in and in-laws, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Obvious link there, right? Oh, boom. <laughs> oh, God, I almost want to be like, Habsburgs, take note, because it Dude, didn't go any better for you either. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Dude, they had that inbreeding thing down. Oh, yes. They produced some really funky-looking people. Oh, boy. I mean, truly funky. Oof. When, when the entire extended family has the same, I think, like, four great-grandparents or eight great-grandparents. Oh, God, it makes me think of those Jeff Foxworthy. His old, you might be a redneck. <laughs> oh, I remember yeah, yeah, he yeah. was like, if your family tree doesn't fork, you might be a redneck. <laughs> if your family tree, family tree doesn't fork, you might be a Habsburg. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, oh that's so. amazing. <laughs> I mean, strictly speaking, I might be suggesting that Lucretia and her husband may look into like a restraining order or an order of protection. How, <laughs> however much good those actually do, like let's at least get it on paper. Okay. Okay. Uh, they uh, probably wouldn't be able to find a judge willing to sign it. Yeah, there is. Terror. Yeah, there is that. Mm -hmm. um, gosh, I might be back with Cesare going. You know. Maybe you just want to say, screw it, Dad, and, you know, go down to the brothels because you clearly got some energy you need to get out if you're looking at your sister <laughs> like this. Right. right. Oh, boy. I'm sitting there going, like, what sensibilities do you appeal to? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and, of course, you know, this is a historical figure, so we'll never really know what's going on in this man's head, but... It's not a good sign. It's pretty dark stuff, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, not a good sign. I'm not sure that we would today say that he was all there. No. <laughs> yes. No. Or maybe he was all there and that was the scary yeah, part. Yeah, that could also be the scary part is when they're totally sane. Um, hmm. Yeah. Putting the bloodlust aside, going, okay, so you're, 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 you're upset that your sister is married and she's off and got her own life. Um, let's so talk. She's about having it. sex with her husband, and it makes him. Mad. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. she's his. Yeah. So yeah, it might be might be like let's refer you to a, like a licensed sex therapist. Uh, That's probably the thing to do. Yeah. Because yeah. like strictly speaking, it's not uncommon for there to be some weird jealousy or just some sa and just some sadness and grief when a family member you're close to, and I don't mean possessive, I mean close mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Leaves the fold. Like you yeah. see that with like moms and dads and their sons and daughters when they leave. Totally. Um yeah. again, this is not the healthiest dynamic, but we're not talking about healthy dynamics today. You may no, have, you know, mom, you know, sees sees the new wife as the other woman. Oh, well, yeah. Because we are using our son as a replacement for uh, you know, our male partner in right. this in this case because because of a son, you know, you could be using your son as the your your pseudo wife, you know, depending. But anyway, mm -hmm. you're the 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 child spouse is now the other person. 
Mm -hmm. as opposed to ideally like i love you and hopefully i will also love your spouse and you get to go exactly. have your life like yes. i just picked up yeah. a brother instead of a competitor yes exactly yes yeah. right yes now, so, has to go around in a mask half the time because his syphilis is so bad so it probably is making him feel very self-conscious yeah if i was and talking her husband Luke, is supposed to be a real dreamboat so it's probably really rankling with Chester. yeah probably real rankling with him mm. might be like lucretia like your brother is riddled syphilis you don't want any of that anyway <laughs> oh you don't want that you see what it does and you're a famous beauty keep don't it, keep that beauty going keep that That's beauty right. going as long as possible work yeah. for margaret of anjou work for you <laughs> all right you want to give us the uh, full scenario yeah, there steven the whole thing all right all right here we go Trouble with the in-laws can also cause a lot of family strife. Few can attest to that better than Lucrezia Borgia. In her time, she was considered one of the great beauties of Italy. This brought her much attention and made her the subject of many a fine painting, but it also inspired the envious to wag their tongues about her. Worse still, it seemed to inspire a terrible jealousy on the part of her brother, Cesare. He hated her husbands, hated anyone that took his sister to bed. Of course, marriage was important for making dynastic connections in the Renaissance. At the age of 13, Lucrezia was wed to a man by the name of Giovanni Sforza. This was no love match. Her family needed connections with the powerful Sforza family. A few years later, her father, the Pope, wanted to be rid of the match. That dovetailed nicely with the desire of her brother, Cesare. He thought Giovanni Sforza would look a lot better with a sword buried in his guts, and told Lucrezia just that during one of her husband's visits to Rome. Lucrezia knew her brother, knew the darkness and evil that burned in his heart, and told her husband to flee Rome. This he did. With murder off the menu, the Pope decided to get rid of Giovanni Sforza by way of an annulment. Since the couple had no children, the Pope claimed that Sforza was a limp dick. They even went so far as to hold a trial where it was proved that old Giovanni's sword was soft in the thrust. To save his life and property, Giovanni was forced to sign a humiliating affidavit declaring to the world that he was indeed impotent. The whole thing worked well for Lucrezia. In her next marriage, she was bound to the young Duke Alfonso of Aragon. He was the apple in the eye of many Italian ladies. He and Lucrezia were a happy match, and they spent many of their days together going for long rides in the Roman countryside. With such a good-looking and amiable husband, Lucrezia was pregnant practically on day one of her new marriage. Knowing that his sister was now actually getting down with her husband drove Cesare crazy with jealousy. Of course, his father stayed Cesare's hand. The marriage was a useful political connection. But then the shifting winds of politics made Lucrezia's husband superfluous. As time passed, Cesare grew mad with rage and paranoia. At that time, he was engaged in a nightmarish conquest of central Italy, a true reign of terror. Virtually every day in Rome, people of no further use to him were fished out of the Tiber River. When Cesare returned to Rome from executing some of his generals in the Italian city of Senegalia, Lucrezia knew Cesare intended for her beloved husband to go swimming in the Tiber with his arms tied behind his back. Well, I'm not sure Cesare would have listened to this. So here's what ended up happening. One night, her husband, Alfonso, was leaving after a late supper with Lucretia and her father. 
On the streets of Rome, a gang of assassins was waiting for him, and they attacked Alfonso just as soon as he alighted from the Pope's house. However, this would be no easy killing for the assassins. In addition to being easy on the eyes and a general dreamboat, Alfonso was good with the sword. Though outnumbered, he fought hard against the opponents and gave out as good as he got. He was still pierced and cut many times over. With help coming for Alfonso, the assassins gave him up for dead and fled. Alfonso was immediately taken for medical treatment. When Lucretia came to him and asked who had attacked him, with the faintest of breaths, he declared the assassin her brother. It is not known whether she heard this or not because she suddenly passed out. But Alfonso was too strong to die from these wounds. Fortunately for him, he still could not be moved from Rome, the city of the Borgia. The fix was in, and Cesare Borgia sent his favorite executioner along with some of Cesare's followers to finish the job. Borgia's followers took everyone from the room where Alfonso was recovering. Well, almost everyone. They left Alfonso in there. To make sure Alfonso died for sure this time, Borgia's executioner strangled him until he was dead. Can I back up a second? Yep, yep, yep. Legally proved that he was impotent. <laughs> did we have a courtroom hand job? How did we do this? <laughs> Show trial. Show, emphasis on show. <laughs> I mean, did we just like, did we just drop cod piece in the middle of the courtroom? So he wasn't even there. I believe it was in absentia. <laughs> and oh, I'm just okay. picturing somebody doing a mime with a salami. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That would be pretty awkward. I mean, job in the courtroom to see if it works. I mean, it's the Renaissance. I'm not going to put anything past them at this point. Yeah, seriously, right? Especially the Borgia. Oh, God. Oh, goodness. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and who says history's boring? Dude, seriously. Exactly. Well, that's because yeah. they don't teach it right. They never leave this. They never put the cool stuff in. Oh my god, like, oh, yeah. let's see. Suck all the joy out of it. That's when they teach it. Yep. Well, you're a high school student, so we can't tell you about the interesting bits. Yeah, exactly. My <laughs> my son comes back, he's like, Dad, I don't understand why you're interested in the Renaissance. It's just a bunch of people talking about art and paintings. I was like <laughs> I picture you yeah. like like the old fashioned like roll down map from school. It's like you yeah. pull that Let's down show you how it goes. And it's all <laughs> of the pictures of the people with the red string and you're the guy from the meme going <laughs> oh <laughs> oh man oh, that's perfect uh, it, sorry when I laugh too hard I, I, I just cough I do the same thing yeah that Cesare is a bad boy bad 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 that, boy I've, that's gonna be like the new catchphrase damn it Cesare <laughs> <laughs> I looked up earlier. I want to say it was like a Valencian term, but there was like two Borgia. Like this family became so infamous that this was a phrase. Oh, it was like a curse <laughs> to Borgia with you. If I did, I'll let you guys know. But, but 
But if nothing else, I'm like, this became a thing. Yeah. That's... Yeah, they were, they were bad people. It's well, I mean, it's on point, right? I mean, history has given us a pretty clear idea of who the Borgia were. Oh, yeah. yes, I would lo- like, like, I don't never include this in school. People would no. really get into history if you started talking about this kind of dynamic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know enough about the culture of this time period to be like, mm-hmm. was this as nuts to everybody else? Like, was this as nuts to their contemporaries as it is to us? I don't know. Right? Well, so there's a lot of people arguing that Cesare Borgia was like a hero, like a man to be emulated. Yeah, is, yeah. Well, I mean, everybody has their hero. Uh, right. <laughs> that's why That's why the people who read the prints and take it literally yeah. right, are usually very bad people. So if right? Machiavelli yes. was doing the music video to I'm Holding Out for a Hero, it would be a big picture of Cesare Borgia. Holding out for a hero. And it's just the portrait kind of going do 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 do. Let's see, Carrie. I think I think we're gonna have to get into our other stories to determine. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, whether or having not, too much fun. Sure, what, sure. Well, no, no, no. I'm just saying to determine whether or not this was the norm, right? Or if oh. it was the standard, because right. I think we're gonna find and we're gonna start to find that it is kind of the standard. Yeah, yes. you're probably right. Yeah. All right. So I think you're up next, right, Joshua? I am. So, brother's quarrel. It's natural. I know my brother and I rarely got along. It wasn't until he was in college that we found some semblance of mutual understanding between the two of us. Our second story is similar. The second son of a notable family and his stepbrother both fall in love with the same girl, strut their stuff, and compete with one another for her affections. Then they get into a fight that goes beyond the affirmations of this admirable lady and manages to tear a rift in their family that would never really be healed. How would you approach de-escalating this accretion fissure? Well, I know I'm going to be very modern here, not Renaissance at all, but has anybody asked the lady what she thinks? <laughs> nah. <laughs> well, wait, wait a second. Ippolito did. That, that's where the whole thing came yeah. from, right? <laughs> that's true. Have, women, yeah. women don't have rights. What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly. Well, uh-huh. The woman in this story is a Borgia. Oh, God. So then that, that, cha- <laughs> that changes the question entirely. The, qu- the new question is, are you too mad? Do you, you know this yeah. family? Are you really sure? How, like, how, just how attractive is this woman that you are willing to skirt death for her? She is, she, I think she said she's pretty babelicious, right? She is, by all means, one of the most beautiful women in Italy. So oh. between her and Lucrezia, they are... Oh, they're uh, neck and neck? Widely heralded. Yeah, oh. they're widely heralded as being some of the most beautiful women in Now, mm-hmm. I tend to be a more practical person and tend to go, mm, yeah, not worth the risk. But if I have learned anything about Renaissance men, <laughs> that does not tend to factor. <laughs> we were talking about those salamis earlier. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, like, well, uh huh. Th- there's another aspect of this too, because this actually jumps ahead a little bit in our timeline. Uh huh. And Cesare is no longer. Well, actually, no, he's still around. God yeah. damn it! Okay. <laughs> I damn was gonna say Cesare. he's no longer a factor in this one, but yeah, damn it, Cesare. <laughs> yeah, damn it, Cesare. Here. Damn it, Cesare. <laughs> okay, I guess that would be first question. Does Cesare have the hots for this woman? Because if yes. No, run, run away. I don't think so. Okay, 
But you never know. You never I don't know. know. I don't know. I don't know. He's got the hots for his sister, so yeah, he might have so the hots for his cousin. For his cousin. So. It tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. From like a modern context, for these two brothers, I'd honestly be like, you know, it's up to her. She can choose yeah. she can choose one or the other of you or neither of you. So stop trying to kill each other and let her decide. Also, maybe also practically speaking, she may learn that you guys are trying to kill each other and want nothing to do with either one of you. Cause yeah. you know, I can't speak that for all I can't speak for all women, but murder's not generally an attractive trait. Fratricide <laughs> generally frowned upon. Right, big red flag. Big red flag, generally. Yeah, you see yeah. that in all. You see that in all the women's magazines. You know, <laughs> is your man crazy? Ten so- ten red flags. Number one, has he committed fratricide? <laughs> oh man. Gosh. Hey, Steven, you're- oh, <laughs> that's great. God. From a from a historical context. I'm kind of like, well, the older brother usually wins out. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, Ippolito was swole, as you mentioned. Yes. Yeah, he's, uh, he is, yeah. So, um, all right, I'm going to get into our scenario here, okay? I'm going to be doing another homicide assessment, aren't I? <laughs> no. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, no, actually, no. well. Now, this is about this is about healing, I think, right? Oh, wonderful. It is about healing. This yeah. This is about healing. This is about healing. Okay. I agree. <laughs> Thank God, no death. The good cardinal and loyal son of Ferrara, Ippolito d'Este, went to Rome in the autumn of 1505 to pay homage to the Pope and fetch his brother Alfonso's bride-to-be, Lucrezia Borgia. It was on this fateful trip that the good cardinal came under the influence of the morally flexible Cesare Borgia, brother of his soon-to-be sister-in-law. Cesare was a hedonist to the nth degree, as we've seen, and by all standards morally corrupt. Yet he was the epitome of a Renaissance prince in the eyes of contemporary observers like Niccolo Machiavelli, so it's no small wonder that Ippolito was enamored with the young, handsome Cesare's virtue and amicable swagger, given that his pole was so great among Italy's princes. However, it's another of Cesare's well-known qualities that led Ippolito to the actions that frame the highlight of our second story. Ever the connoisseur of the dalliances afforded to those daring to trek Rome's seething underbelly, Cesare introduced Ippolito to all the famous prostitutes of Rome. For days they rutted their way through the whorehouses of the Eternal City, Yet, in spite of these straining slogs through the catacombs of carnal indulgence, Ippolito's vigor for pleasure and beauty was only heightened, and when the young cardinal came to the Borgia apartments with Cesare one night, drunk and reeking of sin, he laid his eyes upon the most beautiful woman he had ever seen, Cesare's cousin, Angela Borgia. Angela's beauty was so renowned that it was remarked upon in multiple commentaries of the age. Ludovico Aristo and Pietro Bembo both idolize her in their works, and the famous Renaissance painting, Young Profile with Renaissance Dress, or The Beautiful Princess, is argued to be a da Vinci painting of the illustrious lady. Ippolito doted on Angela, following her about and making his passion for her known. When she came to Ferrara with her cousin Lucrezia, he continued his unwavering pursuit, but while in Ferrara, another gentleman caught Angela's attention, Ippolito's bastard half-brother, Giulio. Ippolito puffed his plumes and extended his trot, 
he wasn't afraid of a little competition, especially against a bastard. He set to arranging odd encounters where the Lady Angela could see him shirtless and thereby admire his physique. It was on one of these fateful occasions that he approached the fair lady and asked for her favor, but her reply was a dagger that would shatter the foundation of the house d'Este. Angela interrupted his doting and said, Julio's eyes are worth more than your body. Ippolito was enraged. Night after night, he laid in bed, replaying the moment in his mind, but he found no absolution in his waking dreams, as he could only ever conjure the incessant laughter of Angela's ladies-in-waiting with each passing memory. Julio's eyes were worth more than his immaculate body? He rolled the notion around in his mind, until finally, five days later, he settled on a solution. Ippolito went on a ride with three of his closest men and several of their grooms. They happened upon Giulio riding back to Ferrara, alone, in the small village of Belroguardo. The retinue approached on friendly terms, riding up as though they were going to escort Giulio back to the city. But as they drew near, Ippolito shouted, Kill that man and gouge out his eyes! The groom seized Giulio's horse and dragged him to the ground. Then Ippolito threw himself on Giulio and gouged out his eyes with a dagger. Poor Giulio lost sight in one of his eyes and was partially blind in the other. But he wouldn't need his sight in the dark, dank depths of the Ferrari's dungeons. After Ippolito's assault, Giulio and his brother Ferrante would stage a coup, attempting to usurp the Ferrari's throne from Alfonso. They tried to poison Alfonso and Ippolito, but the assassination attempt failed. Their co-conspirators were beheaded and their bodies quartered, except for the priest involved in the conspiracy because you couldn't kill a priest in such a brutal fashion. No, he was hung in an iron cage outside the castle tower in December, until someone snuck him a handkerchief, which he used to hang himself a few days later. Ferrante and Julia were given lenient sentences of life in prison, a gracious reckoning for the standards of the age. Ferrante died 43 years into his term, while Giulio survived 53 years before finally being released. Damn it, Cesare, I blame you for this. (laughs) (laughs) So what I've always Uh, wondered, at the death day table after the event, I'm imagining dinner is probably a little tense with one mm -hmm. brother missing an eye and the other one basically gone. And I'm wondering, (laughs) you know, as as a therapist... How could you help Julio get rid of his anger towards his brother and move past that? Oh, boy. So make sure I've got all the characters right. Uh, Julio, we, he's lost an eye. Julio mm-hmm. has lost an eye and most of the sight in the other one. Most yeah. of it's because his, his brother, who was mm-hmm. trotting around shirtless. Yeah, Ippolito's the yeah. guy. who's the cardinal with the, the swole, pack, yeah. swole muscles and six-pack uh. and... He could not woo Angela yeah. with his bouncing peck, so he decided to carve out his brother's <laughs> eyes. So how would you how would you oh, help God. them come to peace and you know put that behind them? This is like the setup of a bad rom com. <laughs> <laughs> also very Shakespearean, uh, out vile jelly. Can't remember which which play that's from, but it's before somebody know. gouges an eye out. That's all I remember. Yeah, that might have been. Bruce- Based on that story. It might have been, so, knowing Shakespeare. Uh, so, honestly, King I think... King Lear. Nice. Was that King Lear? Yeah. Okay. Honestly, if he came to me and was angry with his brother, I'd be like, legit, 
you got a lot of reason to be mad at him. Yeah. What, mm-hmm. So what do, what what do we want to do about that? Because I have learned, I apparently need to have my homicide and my homicidal ideation assessment <laughs> at the ready. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Because <laughs> this is the way I operate. I'm like, you know what? There's you don't have to forgive, especially something that was done with such malicious intent. Mm-hmm. You don't have to okay. forgive and forget. Also, I mean, you so can't. So you think the Deste yeah. family is doomed after something like this? Then that there's no there's no coming back. Well. The rest of the family could come back if there was, like, a mutual condemnation of our murderous member. Yeah, not gonna happen. (laughs) Yeah, that's not gonna happen. (laughs) Yeah. So, I'd be like, just please don't murder him. And if you do, just make it look like an accident. Please. (laughs) (laughs) I've had it, I was like, I got three subpoenas already. (laughs) So there's a, there's actually a little bit that I left out, which is that um, Angela did fall in love with Julio. um, And she was actually at the time of Ippolito's advance pregnant with his child. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I found that out after I had written that. <laughs> That's why they married her off to Pio then. I so like, she had a vested yeah. interest in getting married real fast. Oh, yeah. She, she, she did. She got a lot less picky about a husband at that point. Oh, wonder how his brother would have felt about... Well, is, it, is it sloppy seconds? Is that the term I'm looking for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe that is the one you're looking for there. Yeah. I don't feel like he'd be quite a fan. Of course, I'd be afraid he'd go murder Angela. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, if the whole family was like, yeah, we're just going to, like, overlook this. We're not going to really address this. Mm-hmm. Maybe, like, do you want to maybe look at maybe putting some distance between you and your family? We do talk about, you know, separating from toxic family members that... Got it. Just because they're family. Oh, here's a little... Here's actually a little interesting factoid for, for, for all of our listeners here. Everybody knows that, that, that adage, blood is thicker than water, right? Mm, yeah that's actually not the whole adage oh it's been abbreviated the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb and covenant we typically only hear that in a religious context but covenant Mm. means a chosen relationship a chosen so you're the so the 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 bonds of your chosen relationships are thicker than the ones that you have just because this was the family you were born into right right interesting so, so this pe- is buddies first. That's well, really great. It's the relationships you choose to have versus yeah. the ones you're obligated, you feel yeah, obligated to have. Yeah. I ask, sometimes great. I'm like, if this person wasn't your family member, would you, to- would you tolerate this shit? And if the answer's no, like, well, then why are you tolerating it now? Right. Just because they're your cousin or your sibling or your parent. Like, they don't get carte blanche to treat you shit just because yep. they're family. Just because they're family. No, okay. separating from family is easier said than done. But, especially in this case, maybe um, maybe we want to put some distance between us and this murder-condoning family. <laughs> or just make sure it looks like an accident. One or just make sure it looks like an accident. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, That's good advice. Brother's a strong swimmer, but, you know, there was a riptide. Don't tie his hands, otherwise that defense ain't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> he just said to swim into this knife. Yeah, Six times. He swam into my knife. He swam into my knife ten <laughs> times. 
He had it coming. I was just swimming here. <laughs> the, uh, that movie when the, the crosswalk. Hey, I'm walking here. Here, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm swimming here. I'm here. <laughs> awesome. All right, so our next story, um, fortunately, our next story doesn't involve a Borgia. Yay! after it does. Oh, so. damn it. I'm going to get it out now. Damn it, Cesare. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to take a little um, dive into uh, marriage relationships with these next two. Ooh, juicy. Okay? Yeah. Love so, marriage, marriage. <laughs> <laughs> the next two stories really touch on the impact and callousness of infidelity. Our first story features a husband who admittedly loves his wife, but in so keeping up with the expectations and appearances of a Renaissance prince, can't let people think that you're impotent. Um, he incessantly finds side hustles that steal his affections, and he manages to drive his wife into unhealthy coping mechanisms. And addiction. The other story is about a man who by all means desires his wife's affection, or at least we think he would, but he has a problem. He would rather polish his cannons than sleep with his wife. <laughs> so naturally, she looks elsewhere for affection and satisfaction and finds a lover. All is well until the husband finds out and seeks vengeance for the wrongs that are done to him. So, so polishing real cannons, yes? Oh, yeah. Okay, just yeah. checking, because yeah. there's a lot of euphemisms out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think as we'll see in this story, it's kind of questionable whether or not he was just really into polishing his cannon or his cannon. Or his right? cannon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, because because it's not just we'll see. We'll see when we'll we see. get into the story. Okay. But yeah. So, how would you how would you go about kind of dealing with uh sort of these these two different dynamics? Okay. One who where you have a husband that just, you know, uh wants to be involved with his wife, especially once he kind of really learns who his wife is, he he really sees her flourish and turn into kind of this uh, court icon in yeah. Italy. Um, but he just has this problem where he's just always finding these side hustles and getting infatuated with them. And then, mm -hmm. you know, um, he can't pay her the, the attention that she deserves. Yeah. Gosh, got a lot of thoughts on this one. Um, first off, as you, would, as you had said, you know, it's like, oh, you know, he, he really, you know, he really loves his wife and he really wants to do good by her. But he keeps, you know tensions keep wandering to these side hustles so like my first thought was okay is it really you know it's like okay do you really love your wife as much as you say you do do you respect her as an individual because this is disrespectful to her do we maybe have a sex addiction addiction going on which is something that can be worked on or honestly maybe he's poly to, you know, to not, you know, put, not to be like, oh, damn you. It's like, if the, if you're Polly, that's the way you were born. So then yeah. let's take a look at that. And unless in a modern context, it may be okay. Like sometimes, you know, some couples, you may have a Polly person and a non-Polly person. That can be worked and they can still have a functioning, happy, healthy relationship. 
or possibly not. If the other partner is just like, I just can't do this. I was born to have a monogamous relationship. Well, then maybe we look at an amicable separation. It can, this can go all ways. So, yeah. otherwise, let's go with our, 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 at least in this time period, you know, Polly wasn't, a th wasn't recognized as a thing. So he's right. So we'll just go with he's just being a flanderer. Okay. So. All right. Uh, so let's let's get yeah. into that story then. Okay. In January of 1491, a double wedding of unprecedented proportion took place in Milan. Ludovico Sforza could delay his wedding to Beatrice d'Este no longer. The rights and customs of betrothal needed to be upheld, regardless of whether he wanted to or not. Ludovico was madly in love with his mistress, Cecilia Gallarini. She was brilliant, spoke Latin, and wrote sonnets, argued theology and philosophy with the greatest minds in the Italian sphere. She was the epitome of a Renaissance woman, and Ludovico could imagine having no other. He had da Vinci painter portrait, Lady with an Airmine, at the time one of the burgeoning artist's greatest work of portraiture. Unwilling to see this story of passion and love come to an end, Ludovico did everything he could to put off his promise to marry Beatrice d'Este, so he could continue to live a while longer in the dreamland of Cecilia's companionship. Alas, he could delay no longer. Beatrice was of age, 15, and going back on his deal with Ercole d'Este was political suicide for a man ruling as a tyrant despite being a regent. To solidify his claim further and guarantee the lasting allegiance of the d'Este, Ludovico proposed a double wedding. He would finally uphold his word and take Beatrice as his wife, and Ercole's young son, Alfonso, was to marry Ludovico's niece, Anna Sforza. The wedding was the hallmark of the height of the Italian Renaissance. Now married, Beatrice had two problems. She genuinely loved her husband, and he genuinely loved his mistress, Cecilia. She pleaded with Ludovico to get rid of her, promising him that she could be the object of his affection, that she could live up to the standards that Cecilia had set in his mind, that he could one day love her like he loved Cecilia. This made Ludovico upset. He couldn't understand why his new wife was so disagreeable. Didn't she realize that all Italian princes had mistresses? Why was he to be any different? This led Ludovico to resent Beatrice. And so, for all her trying, all she succeeded in doing was push Ludovico away. Beatrice eventually relented and decided to find herself within the confines of her glacial marriage. She took up design and started producing the cutting edge of fashion in Italy. She also took up horseback riding, where she became so proficient it said that she could ride a full day without stopping. She also took up gambling and drinking. Her best friend and co-compatriot in all of her whims was Ludovico's daughter, Bianca Sforza, wife of Galeazzo Sanservino, Ludovico's right-hand man and the greatest knight in all of Italy. She also had her ladies-in-waiting, who she dressed in all of her new styles and paraded around Milan in a procession of pure femme fatale. After bearing two sons and establishing a glowing court in Milan that was the envy of all Italy, Beatrice was starting to feel like her life had real purpose. Even Ludovico was beginning to admit he wouldn't be where he was without her, and started spending more time with her, so much time that she'd become pregnant with their third child. All was well until November, when two seismic events rocked Beatrice's life. She found out that Ludovico's presence was an attempt to get closer to one of our ladies-in-waiting, Lucrezia Crivelli. When she saw a portrait of her in the Master da Vinci's studio 
while she sat for her own portrait. Worse yet, Lucrezia Crivelli was also pregnant with Ludovico's child. Then, the final nail in the coffin of Beatrice's sanity. Her closest ally and best friend Bianca died suddenly, leaving her alone, heartbroken, and feeling unloved. Beatrice turned to her vices, drinking and gambling. Unfortunately, her lucky cards had dried up, and she focused her efforts entirely into drinking and partying. On January 2nd of 1497, she held a private party in her suite of the Rochetta. Fueled by wine and a long-subsided sense of self-preservation, she danced her heart out, so vigorously and recklessly that she had a miscarriage, and the next morning followed her stillborn child to St. Peter's Gate. The poet Vincenzo Calmetta wrote, And then the Duchess died. Everything fell into ruin, and the court, which had been a joyous paradise, was changed into a black inferno. That is such a sad story. Uh, she oh, gets her revenge, though. She oh, totally gets her revenge. She, okay, well, that's good. Ludovico but... falls apart without her. Oh, good. He, he does. loses his mind. It turns out that she was the real iron behind the, uh, yeah. the throne. We're going to see a lot of that and a lot of her in season two of, uh, ah. our, of our podcast. Well, it's nice to, yeah. nice to know she... I guess gets her revenge from beyond the grave, but yep. what a sad state to be in. Yeah. yeah. Ludovico ends up spending about 10 years in a cage, I think. Wow. Literally held a, in a suspended cage for the king's King of France's amusement. So it comes out okay. Yeah, he, he definitely gets his comeuppance <laughs> for being okay. you know, a shitty sure. person. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. A, that was a little extreme, but I mean, th- this one right here, this is a story probably as old as marriages. That... Mm you have one person who is checked out of the marriage and one who hasn't one desperately wants it to work one is just has one or both feet out the door um Mm -hmm. as we say it it takes two peer takes two people to make a a marriage work Mm -hmm. and frequently it takes two people to make a marriage fail Mm -hmm. now sometimes one of those people is just a jerk which may be (laughs) what we have here at least, again, in a modern context. I mean, it yeah. sounds like these two had a fundamental dichotomous understanding of morals. For him, as I think you had said, like, of course I have to have a mistress. That's part of the job. Mm-hmm. Why can't you understand that like a good wife? <laughs> right. Yeah. And her, and she's going, I'm sure going some version of like, well, the Bible's actually pretty clear on this shit. And I love you. <laughs> You know, you know what's amazing about that though is that actually comes from a letter that he wrote to her father. Really? Yes, he wrote a letter to her father saying, "I can't understand why your daughter is so disagreeable because all Renaissance princes have husbands or have mistresses." Have mistresses, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So. I mean, again, just a fundamentally different way of looking at the world. Yep. It is. Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. I mean, if this was a marriage session, it would be trying to at least get the two of them to understand and accept the other person's viewpoint or perspective on the world, even if they don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in a modern context, this would just be kind of like, okay, okay, hubby, which, which is more important to you? If it's like, okay, it looks like you can only have one. Right. Which, which woman do you choose? And are you okay with that? Because sometimes people want to eat their cake and have it too. Totally. And it's like, sorry, no, you can't. I mean, sometimes that's the therapist's job is to say the things that your friends can't, can't or won't say to you because they're your friend. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I tell, mm-hmm. I tell people when it's like, oh, look straight, you know, describe your job badly. I say I make people cry and they pay me for the privilege. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And I was like, you're my client and I care about you, but it's not my job to be nice to you. My job is to help you heal. Right. And face the unpleasant realities. Yeah. But, oh, what a sad... I mean, she is by no no means the only person who has ever been in a loveless marriage, but it is so sad every time. And in this yeah, day and is. age, where you can't just divorce because we don't have we don't love each other anymore, or he refuses to leave this other woman, right? That wasn't right. an it's option a for alliance. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't an option for either one of them. I'm sure if he could have married the mistress, he would have, and they would have had a happy right. life together. I would hope. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, that's probably what he would have wanted. Yeah. And an amazing note here is that if you ever look at a de- a a Da Vinci portrait, you are probably looking at one of Ludovico Sforza's mistresses. Yeah. <laughs> That's so messed up, dude. That's yeah. so messed up. Wow. Because Luca- Lucrezia Crivelli was actually even married, and he still had a, a portrait painted of her that he hung in his bedroom. <laughs> and apparently yeah. her husband was totally cool with her sleeping with the Duke mm-hmm. and being pregnant with the Duke's child. Mm-hmm. It okay. says that he was a very, <laughs> he was a very well, he had a understanding man. Right. Or, I wonder if she, she'd already given him his heirs, and he's like, I'm good with it now. She did her job. Go have fun. Right, right, yeah. I know that was totally accepted in later periods, at least in England, and I'm blanking on what era exactly, but it was like, if you were a, high, if you were a high-class woman, as long as you had given your, your husband his heirs, then you could go have whatever balances you wanted, and it was good. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I think a lot of times we kind of think back to this period and we think that it was so straight edge and like very oh, no. Like, rigid. No. <laughs> but it is, it is not. Anything <laughs> Not but. by any means. Yeah. Yes. Anything but that. Um, okay, so now let's talk about the other uh, marriage where you have a husband who is loyal to his wife, but he's also kind of not all there for her okay really enjoys his canon oh the canon yeah and then at the same time she has uh, what we could only really call is an insatiable sexual appetite that she inherited from her family go you lady yeah women's liberation so, (laughs) so um this is the story of her struggle. Okay. Alfonso Dieste was the beneficiary of not one, but two weddings of the century. The man certainly knew how to grab the headlines. His first marriage to Anna Sforza was recorded as an unhappy one. Anna was described in the contemporary chronicles to be lacking in femininity, dressed like a man, preferred the company of women, and refused to consummate her marriage with Alfonso. This didn't seem to bother Alfonso, however, because despite having reasonable grounds for divorce, he never followed through on them. He was content with his canon, and to let Anna live the life that best suited her, so perhaps they found happiness in their own way, even if it wasn't to the standard of the age. When they finally did consummate their marriage in 1497, however, the joy of producing an heir was met with tragedy when Anna died in childbirth. Alfonso was a bachelor once again, and for five years he remained unwed, casting his cannon and sculpting his pots, 
until a political opportunity too good to pass up came his way at a time when Ferrara needed allies. Pope Alexander VI approached him and asked Alfonso to marry his once-divorced, once-widowed daughter, Lucrezia Borgia. They had an opulent wedding, the likes Italy hadn't seen since Alfonso's first wedding. Their marriage, on the other hand, was interesting. Alfonso tolerated Lucrezia, but she, like her brother and father and mother, had a ravenous sexual appetite. Lucrezia's first affair was innocent. A handsome and charming Venetian poet named Pietro Bembo came to the court of Ferrara and won her affection with his wit and grace. Alfonso wasn't affable. Despite being uninterested in his beautiful wife, he was a callous, jealous man with a dangerous temper, but also a patient observer, and that's just what he did. Bembo needed to be cautious. Despite being a master of charms, Pietro was above sleeping with another man's wife, however, or perhaps very aware of the danger he was flirting with, and kept his courtship confined to a mutual friendship and never took advantage of Lucrezia's affections. His playful advances did more than pastime, however. They piqued Lucrezia's lust for love and affection in a way that Alfonso could neither provide nor subvert. In reaction to the inertia of this moment, Alfonso heeded the danger of Lucrezia's blossoming infidelity and built secret tunnels between their rooms so he could keep an eye on her in the future. True to form, Lucrezia did find another lover, this time more salacious, and it was with a man who history has shown was driven more by a moral compass that followed the direction of the needle between his legs. That man was Francesco Gonzaga, the Marquis of Mantua, who was married to Alfonso's sister, Isabella d'Este. The affair started when Lucrezia lost a baby after it had only been alive for 25 days. She needed to get away from Ferrara and decided to visit Mantua, where she could decompress in the open air and remote Mantuan countryside. While there, she came under the influence of Francesco, who consoled her with promises of freeing her brother from a Spanish prison and the thing he knew best, Q. Marvin Gaye's sexual healing. Lucrezia was enamored. Not long after she received an invite to return to Mantua addressed to Isabella d'Este, this made Alfonso very suspicious. He knew that his sister didn't like Lucrezia, but he granted her permission and in response sent a secret letter to Isabella to keep an eye on his wife. Unfortunately for Alfonso, his attention was quickly diverted from his wife's dalliances when Ippolito d'Este gouged out Giulio's eyes and started a civil war in the d'Este family. He wouldn't forget, though. After Giulio and Ferrante were captured and imprisoned, Alfonso returned to his suspicions. Lucrezia and Gonzaga were by now in constant contact with one another, sending secret, ciphered messages through intermediaries. Lucrezia's intermediary in Ferrara was a man named Ercole Strozzi. Ercole was a member of the Ferrari's court, his father had been a famous poet in the city, and he continued in his father's footsteps, becoming an accomplished poet himself. He was, by all accounts, an incredibly handsome man. Some say he was the most handsome man in Italy, but he was crippled and walked with a crutch. Whether that was from birth or an accident, the record is unclear. While Lucrezia was fond of Strozzi, and his company when at court, she wasn't interested in him, and he wasn't interested in her either. 
he had a dangerous affair of his own to mind with Barbara Torelli, the widow of Ercole Bentivoglio. Alfonso by all accounts hated Strozzi, but he couldn't do anything about his presence at court because of his wealth and influence, and it's probably Alfonso's hatred of Strozzi that led him to become entwined in this love affair, anything to embarrass the petulant duke. I mean, one can only imagine the awkward tension at the dinner table when these families got together for a feast. To further compound the domestic hellscape surrounding Alfonso, he found out that Lucrezia was pregnant. The only problem was, he wasn't visiting her bedchamber very frequently, as he'd been spending most of his time polishing his cannon and neglecting his wife. This heightened his suspicions further. One night, while he was stroking his barrel, he was interrupted by one of his men. They handed him a letter written in cipher. He looked at it and asked them what it was. The man explained that it was a letter from his wife to Ercole Strozzi, and that his spy masters were working on cracking the cipher. Alfonso was enraged, but he was a patient man and told the man to put all of their resources into tracking Strozzi. Lucrezia gave birth to a baby boy. Alfonso was elated. After decades of trying, he'd finally produced an heir. On his way to see his son, a spymaster approached him with urgent news. They'd cracked the cipher, and it seems that Lucrezia was having an affair with Ercole Strozzi, after all. But it was worse than they thought. The things she had written in her letters were enough to make a courtesan in Rome blush. Alfonso took a deep breath, closed his eyes, and walked into Lucrezia's birthing room. She smiled at him and then looked down at the suckling child at her breast and said, Isn't he beautiful? I've decided to call him Ercole after your father. Alfonso felt a violent rage wash over him and left the room without a word. Two months later, a local Ferrari shopkeep walked out of his store to ready his wares for the day's business and found the body of Ercole Strozzi lying in the street with 22 dagger wounds, his crutch neatly laid beside him, and a lock of his hair tied up with ribbon penned to his chest. Lucrezia and Francesco Gonzaga's affair would continue, and their love would grow in impetuosity. Gonzaga was so enamored with Lucrezia that when Pope Julius II was planning to oust the Dieste from Ferrara, Gonzaga was the first to volunteer his forces. He told the Pope that he would be glad to remove Alfonso from Ferrara, but he had one condition, that the Holy Father would annul his marriage to Isabella Dieste, and his spoils in the conquest of the city would be the Lady Lucrezia Borgia. This attempt never came to fruition. And not long after, Lucrezia died in childbirth, and Gonzaga succumbed to syphilis. Oh God. Can you imagine this extended family around the Thanksgiving table? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what's funny about this, is all of these stories involve the Dieste family. Yes. <laughs> I think we'd have to think they would have to have like a pre-carved turkey. I wouldn't trust anybody with <laughs> that trust knife. Any <laughs> no knives at this table. Maybe not even forks. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh boy, there are so many things going on here. Like we have right, like the man who's like, like I don't want my. I have no interest in my wife, but nobody can have her either. Oh yeah. I mean. Right. That, you know, fine, it's just testament to, you know, just the, the, the viewpoints and the mode of thinking of the era. 
you know, right. today's context, that's what we would call an asshat. Clinical clinical definition. That's the clinical term right there, asshat. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Oh god. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a shame cuz they could have mutually coexisted with their own passions side by side like when we mar- we married because we had to mm-hmm. right K- kind of like we're business partners you do your half i do my half and the business keeps running mm-hmm. well maybe it just stung alfonso a little bit that she just decided to go after his brother-in-law yeah oh, that, of all people that honestly made me think of like you know the subreddit am i the asshole <laughs> I banged my sister-in-law. Am I the asshole? <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things is the, the death they were were kind of cold fish. You know, they were yeah. sort of cold calculating people, and yeah. uh, and Lucretia was a and the and the rest of the Borgias were very hot-blooded, hot-blooded, yeah, impulsive yeah. types. Yeah, so this and was, Gonzaga was a hot-blooded type as well. Yeah, yes, yeah, he was. So yeah. Yes, he not was. a match made in heaven by any no. stretch yeah. of the imagination what a uh, what a poor match for yeah. marital it, yeah, bliss it was, but you know it it seemed like his first match would have worked out quite well yeah, with anna that's so because they, sad. they both had they both had their own directions you know so it seemed like you know she was more was interested in cannons that's yeah. it. <laughs> so he someone that would share his passion <laughs> yeah it's too bad she wasn't into his cannon Oh, shame. Criminal. Criminal. Oh, what a shame. She could, you know, she could polish the cannon, you know. Yeah. Give the the cannonballs a few rubs. Yeah. Make them nice and smooth. Nice and smooth. Put right in the barrel. Mm -hmm. And then when it was ready, maybe she could pull the trigger and they could watch the cannon go off together. The marriage that, that sets off cannons together stays together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, right. there's one of the things we're going to have later, and there's the, our closing uh, line is supposed to be the family that kills together, chills together. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I mean, the Tiber's not full yet. Right? Yeah. Right? You can't walk across it. Yeah. You still need a boat, so clearly there's not enough bodies in that Not thing. enough bodies in there yet. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> Are you ready for one more? Sure. Okay. So I'll do the, uh, the the basic situation, get your reaction, and then we'll go through the whole story. Sure. Okay. doke. All right. So remarriage can be tough on a family. Often the new spouse doesn't know their role with the kids in the new family, and the kids can resent the newcomer. Mm-hmm. This was most definitely the case when the Countess of Forley, Katerina Sforza, remarried after the untimely death of her first husband. Her new husband, James, we'll call him, never really gets along with her eldest son, Octavian. The boy, still a minor, is convinced that James is trying to usurp control of Forley, his rightful inheritance, that his mother is just the regent for. James swears up and down that he is running Forley for the benefit of Octavian and to take stress away from Octavian's mom, Katerina. Rumors begin swirling around town that supporters of Octavian are planning to murder James, and the situation reaches ahead when James smacks Octavian in public. Is there anything you can do to help this family, or are they doomed? 
I'm hearing the plot of Hamlet here. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy, yeah. I mean, blended when f- blended families when families blend and come together, it can mm-hmm. be very difficult. If for no other reason than like kind of every family kind of has their rhythm and how they how they go through their day and their interactions. And when you are the new person entering, you don't know what that rhythm is. And a lot of times with, you know, a new step parent, you don't know what the rules are. Like, do you make the kid clean their plate or not? Do you make them eat the peas or no? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like Octavian is, you know, I'm guessing probably somewhere in his teen years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's getting close, yeah, getting close to his majority, and you know mm-hmm. wants wants his inheritance to be there. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe you know, maybe or it sounds like clearly doesn't like James, doesn't like doesn't like the new stepdad. Nope. No, nope. I wouldn't be surprised if you know the cliche, "You're not my real dad." Oh yeah. That came yeah. in. Of course, yeah. I mean, like strictly speaking, there just could be a lot of grief if you know that his biological dad died. He may have had a good relationship with him, and right. it is weird. When your when your when your mom or your dad remarries, because a lot of times the the children will feel like their deceased parent is being replaced, right? And that's a hard right. feeling, especially that if is. they haven't fully grieved and haven't. I'm gonna say move on because you don't ever move on from the death of a family member, but get back to kind of your your going on with normal life. Mm-hmm. If you haven't right. gotten there yet, but mom has, because mm-hmm. right. it's. I think it's one and a half to three years is the average for remarrying after a okay. divorce or a spousal death. Okay. But for kids, the ending of the grief can start around two to three years in. Is when when they're starting. So so they're 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 the the timelines aren't lining up. Right. Right. And, and so, I guess it makes sense because you know, mom wants some action, and the kids aren't necessarily receptive to yeah. the, that that. Yeah. Need. Also, it's just because yeah. even if you know he's a teenage boy, he may have those needs. But mom, ah, right. And then, and this was clearly she's clearly a case of her seeking somebody to roll in the hay with because she actually takes a stable boy yeah. as her lover, and then is so entranced by him that she has him made into a knight, and they get married. Ah. Uh, but he's basically he's kind of I think sort of a I. I what do they call a male bimbo? I don't know. I heard there's a term for it. Him- a himbo? himbo. It's yeah, a himbo. Kind of a himbo. Yeah. 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 So I think the kids are, are really not too keen on the stable boy taking over their dad's place. Yeah. When you consider class hierarchy of the era. Right. It's like, what is mom yeah. doing? Yeah. Like, and even for, 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 for new stepdad, let, let's assume he's going in. Let's assume he's being honest and he is yeah. just trying to help mom. Just take some weight off of her and try to be like, yes, this this is your inheritance, right. Octavia, this stepson. Right. I do want this for you. Right. But teenagers can be difficult. I love working with teens, but mm-hmm. teens can be difficult. Just it's develop a lot of feelings. Me- developmentally, it's a you know your hormones are all over the place, so mm-hmm. so are your emotions. Mm-hmm. And when you when you haven't raised this kid, you don't know the ins and outs potentially. Right. Right. So I can see poor James just getting so frustrated that he just loses it and slaps slaps totally. his stepson, which is by no, which is in no way an appropriate response. This is in no way appropriate. Right. He does need to reckon with this. Like this was in every way the wrong answer. 
Oh, he reckons with it. Yeah, I can understand. I can <laughs> I can empathize with the frustration and the need to just err, let right. it out. But this was not right. the right. This was not right. Right. So yeah, especially so, when you're with the son as a lord, that's a huge insult to his. Yes. Face also, in this in this cultural it. context, mm -hmm. a stable boy or you know a bought knight is right. just has just abused physically abused a young a lord. lord. That's and, you know, in a modern context, you know, in a modern context, as a therapist, if anybody in the family told me that, I would have to consider whether or not I make a report to Child right. Protective Services. Right, right. Yeah. And that, that's a, a whole... Things are different now. Yeah, things are a bit different now, but that, that's a whole thing there, even in a modern context. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Family therapy, definitely in order, which is not uncommon for blended families. It's like, right. even, like even if you're all going in with this with the best intentions, right. there's no manual for this. So, you know, I say therapists were a neutral yet concerned third party. Yep. We care, but we're, we're not sitting at the dinner table. We're not trying to get you off to school. Right. You got that distant perspective. So that yeah, there's that distance perspective. See the big picture. Yeah. yeah, see the big picture and hear everybody. Mm -hmm. Make sure everybody's voices are heard. Absolutely. So it may be like, you know, James, can you, you know, can you voice some assurances for, for is it Octavio? Octavian. Octavian. That you really, that, you know, show him in good faith that this is your plan for handing his inheritance over to him when he's, we'll say, 18. Right. Maybe that would give him some some assurances. Yeah. And maybe like, okay, you know, Octavian, I would put this more therapeutically, but it may be like, how can you be less of a little butt to your stepdad? <laughs> I would put this therapeutically, but again, I adore working with my teenagers. But sometimes so, they're just little butts. Seems like you may have run across this situation once or twice before. Maybe. And again, yeah. I adore my teenagers. I remember being a teenager. It's hard. It was yeah. hard being a teenager in the 90s, to say yeah. nothing of now. Life has gotten yeah, way yeah. more complicated. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so let's take a look and see what happens in this story, shall All we? All right. Adding a stepmom or stepdad into a family will send many a family to therapy. The children often resent the newcomer, and the interloper is often unsure of their role in the family. This is not just confined to our era, but is an age-old problem. It was a problem certainly familiar to the Iron Lady of Forli, Katarina Sforza. After the death of her first husband, she became smitten with a hot stable boy named James. Katarina decided to put a ring on their relationship, though kept it secret. Regardless, James became more or less the de facto lord of Forlee, but Katarina already had a legitimate heir to the lordship of Forlee, her son, Octavian. As Octavian grew closer to an age to rule, he and his supporters suspected that James would never give up the lordship of Forlee to Octavian. At the age of 11, Octavian plotted his first murder against the new lord of Forlee, but the plot never came off. As Octavian grows older, James starts trying to usurp the role of father over him. At one point, when Octavian is 16, James goes so far as to strike Octavian in public. So this is what ends up happening. One day, the whole family goes out for a hunting trip together. And at Katarina's behest, Octavian and James have a long heart to heart. They embrace and everyone lives happily ever after. Yeah, just kidding. They do go out hunting as a family, 
and on their way back to town, a group of assassins emerges from the woods and cuts James down like a dog. He died bleeding out on the way back to town. Of course, one of the big problems with many murder conspiracies, both now and then, is this. If you're not bright enough to solve a problem without murder, then you're almost certainly too dumb to get away with it. Such was the case here. Katerina Sforza took the murder of her love very, very poorly. We're not going to get into the gory details of exactly how she wrought revenge on those involved in the conspiracy, but suffice it to say that it was considered excessive and scandalous even by the standards of Renaissance Italy. Everyone possibly connected to the conspiracy was either killed or driven from the city. Everyone but her son, Octavian. Katerina was not willing to kill her own flesh and blood to avenge the death of her husband, but she would never forgive her own son. Only when she found the true love of her life would she make any attempt to let bygones be bygones. But that is a story for another time. Well, that got complicated real fast. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, you could have a heart-to-heart, or you could just kill him. Or you could just kill him. Oh, at 11, we had our first serious murder plot. Uh, now, like, I want to put out there, like, revenge fantasies are totally normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they are healthy. It's when we start actually planning the revenge that that's, that's where that homicide assessment comes out again. Again. <laughs> again. You're going to need to have that thing on standby if you ever go back to the Renaissance. Oh, my God. God help me. God help planning me. planning to kill today. Yeah, that's just going to be, like, I'm going to have, like, the flow chart. So, who are we going to off today? Okay, there is a thing called a family genogram, and it's it's a therapy family tree. Okay. Or it's not just who's related to who. There's all, all these little symbols and marks for the relational dynamics between mm-hmm. different people. Sure. I'm saying I'm going to have, like, the family genogram of all these families. and be like, so who are, we mo- who are we offing this week? <laughs> okay. Well, let's discuss uh, what uh, what the, the fallout, what the repercussions, the results. Right. right. Of murdering your mother's husband might be. How do you think your mom's gonna feel about that? Yeah, it's just you like think yeah. you're not. You're gonna be able to keep that a secret. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. again, teenagers and some teenagers yeah. are disturbingly clever. Some oh, are yeah. not. Yeah. Again, just with adults as well. Right. And as you said, <laughs> you know, okay, you commit the murder now, you got to get away with it. Right. And this was a hunting trip. Dude, you should have just shot him with an arrow and called it a hunting accident. <laughs> I mean, really, be like, I thought he was a deer. Camo, you know, fluorescent orange isn't going to be invented for a few more hundred years, Mom. Sorry. Yeah, that was a total accident. He wa- yeah. yeah, we don't have orange clothing yet. Maybe. I, don't, I actually don't know if we do, but it's not fluorescent. Oh, gosh. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So yeah, I mean, we have murdered our we have murdered our mother's husband. We have we have disappointed mummy yes. a lot. And she does not take that well. No, she does not take that well. I had a feeling if she had she had a a second heir in the wings, this one may have been offed. Yes, there were back off there were backup ones, but she yeah. decided to keep him alive for some reason. For some reason, well, maybe she was sensible son. in her murder and said only so much bloodshed. 
well, she can't, did take it out on a lot of yeah, other people. So a lot of other people. Yeah. 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 But you know, they were pro in the grand scheme of things, they were probably NPCs. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so you totally. know, it doesn't yeah. doesn't matter yeah. if we off the NPCs. They're just minions, they're like one hit point each. Boom, boom. Yeah, boom. one hit point each, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Hit them with a pillow, yeah. they're down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> All right. And then do we want to do the Bentavolio now? Yeah, let's let's roll into the Bentafolio. All right, so this one I will just go for straight reaction. This is not a problem to solve because they solve it on their own. Wonderful! I love when that happens. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right. Like the young Duke of Aragon, families often have a remarkable power for healing and coming back together. Cooler heads can prevail. Forgiveness and mercy can hold sway over wrath. An interesting example of this occurred within the Bentavoglio family of Bologna between the half-brothers Hercules and Hannibal. Hercules' father, Sante, was once the lord of Bologna. He was married to Guinevere Sforza, who you may remember from her appearances in episodes one and two of Maestro Wars. But Sante was just keeping the throne warm for his cousin, Giovanni Bentavoglio. Hercules' mother anticipated this and was already having an affair with Giovanni Bentavoglio. Because of this, young Hercules was sent away from his mother and Bologna at the tender age of three and grew up amongst strangers. As was the case of rulers who were simply holding places on a throne for others, Sante died of illness at the suspiciously young age of 39. Guinevere married Giovanni Bentavoglio inappropriate six months later. Hercules would have had to be stupid to not make the connection. He grew up in a foreign court away from relatives. As best we can tell, he was only able to see his mother, but rarely, as his travel to Bologna was strongly restricted. The family wanted to make sure that he did not become the lightning rod of a faction against them. He was clearly a threat to the succession of the sons of Giovanni Bentavoglio, and under normal Renaissance customs, he would have been poisoned or assassinated by daggers for sure. Yet As per custom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in fact... During the wedding of Hannibal Bentavoglio, eldest son of Giovanni Bentavoglio, uh, Hercules was one of the most honored guests. Hercules made no pretensions to the lordship of Bologna, and while he later took service with Cesare Borgia, enemy of the Bentavoglio, he took no action against them. It may have been information from him that convinced Guinevere Sforza to push for the massacre of the Mariscotti clan when they schemed to betray Bologna and hand the city over to the Borgia. Then, in an ironic twist of fate, Hannibal Bentavoglio ended up under the command of Hercules Bentavoglio during one of the never-ending wars between Florence and Pisa. In the field of military action, they truly became brothers. Because if there was one truism about family strife in the Renaissance, it was this. The family that kills together, chills together. L'Arte dell'Army wishes a happy Thanksgiving to you and your families, whether you're in the USA like us or in another country. Thanks for listening in. And would love to find what Carrie's thoughts are about the ability of families to recover. <laughs> wow, I love it. as per custom, we're gonna murder him or choose not to. We're gonna break with custom. Um, but the truth is that yes, families do have an incredible capacity for healing. Humans have an incredible capacity for healing. A lot of times we can't do that alone. Our brains are wonderfully clever they're just not naturally well educated we're not crocodiles we're not born knowing everything we we're ever going to need to know and so sometimes our brains just need help they need a helping hand they need somebody with ideas whether or not that is family or that's a therapist uh, 
but every family is going to encounter challenges and problems and fissures. This is normal. It's what the family and the family individual members choose to do with that. Some things, I don't think it is reasonable to try to get past. Like your son murdering your husband. If you say to me, I'm never, I can never forgive my son for that, I'm going to go. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but if you tell me, well, my sister stole my earrings and I will never forgive her, I'll be thinking, eh, you probably will. But I'm not going to say that out loud. But let's work towards that. <laughs> yeah. Unless you are dead serious and your family's in a whole heap of trouble. But as with any kind of healing, it takes time. And psychological healing is not easy. It's not with your body where you give it rest and the nutrition it needs and it will do it on its own. It takes work. It takes time. And it takes being, being open and kind of burying yourself either to your therapist or to your family members and doing that in a trusting and safe environment, which is what a therapist's office is meant to provide. Now, if anybody here listening is thinking that, you know, maybe they do want to talk to a therapist because we are coming up on a pretty major holiday season. The holidays can be very difficult. If you want to start that now or after the holidays, um, my two favorite resources our Psychology Today Therapist Finder. You can just look that up on Google. Uh, just about every therapist is on there. Um, it's got filters for insurance, the issue you're looking to work on, all of that kind of stuff. Um, if you're a person for whom money is tight or maybe you don't have insurance, uh, Open Path Collective is a sliding fee scale website. They're not available in all areas, but you can absolutely go to that website and see if there's anybody there in your area that you could work with, um, all sessions through there are between 30 and $60, if that works for you better. Great. All right, well, Carrie, thanks so much for joining us on thanks. this Thanksgiving Day Renaissance yeah. Family Therapy. Thank you so much for having me. This it was, was a, a blast. To have you. Yes. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Includes another episode of Learte del Arme, the Bolognese podcast. Stephen and I want to wish everyone a happy holidays and thank you for listening. And as always, stay saucy, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>